Over the last few days, I've been watching the images of the insurrection at the Capitol change. They were always shocking, but as more videos trickled out and more internet detectives have started identifying perpetrators, the story of what exactly took place has just gotten darker. Last Wednesday, some of the people who broke into Congress looked like gleeful internet trolls brought to life. But by Sunday, there was video of one of these men beating a police officer with an American flag. Daryl Johnson, who used to work at the Department of Homeland Security, keeps thinking about this other video of a lone black Capitol police officer luring a crowd led by a guy in a QAnon t-shirt away from the Senate floor. Yeah, it's very, very scary. And the fact uh, that this officer kept turning around and looking at this crowd and they kept following, uh, particularly the leader of the group there, kind of reminded me of almost like a rabid animal that, you know, was approaching a person and, and you know, not acting naturally. Over the weekend, I've seen more and more pictures of rioters in tactical gear, bulletproof vests, reinforced gloves, guns in open holsters. One of them earned this nickname, Zip Tie Guy, on Twitter. There is a picture of one of the insurrectionists uh, that was wearing some sort of tactical type uh, clothing that held in his hand uh, these flex cuffs. And that really um, hit me because it showed that some people came prepared uh, to potentially take hostages and that this was going to be a standoff type situation. Um, If that was the proven true, the intent of that person was to bring these flex cuffs to kidnap and hold hostage our legislature, uh, that is very concerning um, and just kind of shows the the dangerous uh, intent of these groups. I wanted to talk to Daryl about what took place, because in some ways, he predicted this. Not the details, but the coming wave of anti-government sentiment and where it could lead. Back in 2009, a report he wrote about the risks of right-wing extremism got leaked to conservative media. It was the beginning of the end for his career at Homeland Security. But with each passing year, Daryl's work seems more prescient. Since leaving the federal government, Daryl has tried to avoid the darker corners of the Internet. He knows what's lurking in there. But this week, he's gone back, just a little, to see what the groups he used to monitor are saying. It turns out they are already creating their own narrative about what went down on Wednesday. You know, the fact that, um, you know, Ashley Babbitt was shot and killed as she breached the uh, window. Uh, She's starting to turn out to be a martyr figure uh, for these groups. And I'm afraid that they're going to use her death as a recruitment and radicalization tool to mobilize others towards violence. I mean, some experts have talked about it as a mass radicalization. And I wonder if you'd agree with that. Absolutely. All of this misinformation that's out there and conspiracy theories definitely radicalizes people. And even the Capitol rally itself was a radicalization moment for these people. 
this is not an isolated event. It's not the the end of the show, so to speak. This is the beginning of the new revolution of these people. So we need to be looking at it as something that's going to propel radicalization and, and mobilization towards violence uh, four years into the future. This event it's not the culmination of a decade's worth of right-wing extremism and then suddenly it's going to die out now because they did this. Today on the show, if this week is just the beginning, that makes it more important than ever that the U.S. government confront online extremism. But our track record here, it is not great. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you watched cable news as the events of last week unfolded, there was this universal shock about how the attack played out. The Capitol is one of the most important buildings in one of the most powerful countries in the world. In some footage, the police appear, at times, to simply step aside as rioters move in. Many wondered, where was the National Guard? How did this not immediately get squashed. Daryl says that might have something to do with law enforcement's checkered past when it comes to right-wing extremism. You worked at DHS for a while, and I'm kind of curious if you could compare and contrast how D.C. might have prepared for similar events in the past. Yeah, so we could do a comparison with just uh, what we saw over the summer with the Black Lives Matter protests. There was a lot more resources uh, devoted to defending government buildings. Uh, There were much more aggressive tactics used against those protesters. Uh, But also, I think, you know, law enforcement uh, can be somewhat biased towards the far right in underestimating uh, the threat that they pose because in the past they haven't really had this confrontational attitude towards uh, authorities at these rallies. They're more the police are there to protect the far right uh, at the rallies. So I think that that complacency and perhaps that bias kind of set in and gave them kind of a false sense of security when it came to this rally. Yeah. I'm glad you said bias because, I mean, you really could. I mean, you saw the officers taking selfies with the people inside the Capitol. And when you saw them moving barriers aside, which, you know, could potentially be done for safety, but at the same time, it, it, it looked terrible. You saw an officer at the door saying, I don't agree with what you're doing, but, you know, I'm letting you in. It's just it was very strange. Yeah, we even had law enforcement officers from across the country come to this rally and participate as insurgents, basically. So now all of them are being looked at uh, for their role uh, in seeing if they committed any criminal acts. So we actually had law enforcement officers that participated in the rioting. Yeah, I want to talk to you about that because I I wonder how you think about 
dealing with that moving forward? You know, you've seen reports from a number of police departments of this bubbling extremism, white supremacy within them. But of course, they're all local departments. And I'm wondering if you think about how we root that out and whether there are things the federal government can do to incentivize that. Because it doesn't seem like there's been priority placed on getting rid of the bad actors. Yes. So it's been known for a long time uh, that there are sympathizers and even members of these extremist groups within the military and law enforcement communities. For a long time, uh, departments across the country, as well as the extremist individuals in the military and law enforcement, had hid behind the First Amendment protection of free speech. And the departments a lot of times make these excuses that these people have a constitutional right to be behave that way or to adhere to these uh, you know abhorrent belief systems. But it's now time to re-examine that because we realize that these people, when they belong to these extremist groups or embrace these radical beliefs, it really calls into question their ability to judge objectively, to perform the law enforcement functions that they've been empowered with in a equitable, honorable manner. And so we need to be looking at people that, you know, have expressed these types of beliefs and start taking administrative action against them. It's not a criminal act to hate, but it does call into question the trustworthiness of these people. Well, it's interesting because you saw some of the rioters just get fired right away. Like a guy, one of the guys showed up with his work tag on and he was fired within 24 hours of that image going out, I believe. But then when you talk about a police officer, there's the challenge of the fact that they're often represented by a police union. And many of these police unions came out and endorsed President Trump this past year. Yep. There's, you know, police officers belonging to the Oath Keepers and Three Percenters and other extremist groups. And a lot of internal affairs uh, representatives responded, well, there's nothing we can really do about that. Well, my response to that is you have somebody that's taken an oath to an organization that is looking to subvert our government. Um, so they're a potential insider threat. Uh, you need to look at them from a counterintelligence standpoint. Are they leaking sensitive information to these groups about, you know, where what the police capabilities are in that community? Uh, what's the physical security layout of the police department? Uh, where the evidence uh, room is? Where the armory is? Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of different concerns related to these extremist individuals that have been put in these positions of authority that we really need to start taking seriously. This past week police departments across the country, in California, Washington, Texas, announced probes into officers suspected of participating in the riot at the Capitol. But part of the trouble for Daryl in rooting out these bad actors is pinning down what exactly this riot was. I'm wondering about the language you use for what happened on Wednesday, because there's been an evolution in that, I think, as time has gone on. It sounds like you're calling it an insurrection, a riot sedition? Yeah, I think all of those terms are appropriate. Uh, insurrection is probably the one that stands out to me because it went beyond rioting because the purpose and intent was to take over the capital of the United States and to stop this uh, electoral college process. 
I wonder if you think it's fair to characterize the attack as white supremacist in nature. There's white supremacist roots in it as well as elements, uh, but it was more broader than that. Um, it was more of an anti-government backlash. Uh, there are people of other color there, but it was predominantly a white uh, insurrection. Uh, but there were definitely racist elements uh, to it. You saw the Confederate flag that was being flown uh, by one of the uh, insurrectionists there. So I would say that the whole thing is not white supremacist, but that there was a white supremacist component of the uh, uprising. Many reporters have sort of talked about the crowd at the Stop the Steal event that preceded the invasion of the Capitol and how it was kind of diverse. Like there were families there, people brought their dogs. And I wonder if if you want to talk about the value for more extreme elements to sort of mix with this crowd that has the appearance of being more normal and whether that's part of what you see changing at this moment. Yeah, we've seen that for protest activities on both the far left and far right. You've got these radical elements that will use the cover of the protest activity to push forth their more violent agendas. But uh, we saw a lot of people once the violence started happening Wednesday at the Capitol, uh, you know, there were people that were leaving once they saw what was going on. Those are the peaceful, law abiding people. Uh, But still, you know, they adhere to conspiracy theories and, you know, they walked away today and obeyed the law. But tomorrow they could commit a criminal act because of these conspiracy theories and disinformation that's fed to them through these different uh, political echo chambers on the internet. While what happened at the Capitol certainly looked like some kind of climax for these extremists, Daryl told me you would be wrong if you think this is the end of a movement. If we're at this beginning point of the next stage, it's also a point where people can make a choice. And I've been struck by folks who've been monitoring online extremism over the weekend saying that there's been a splintering in the groups that have supported the president. And that splintering is, you know, some people looking at what happened at the Capitol and saying, I do not want to be part of that. And other people wishing the president had pushed harder. And I wonder, as a former law enforcement agent, whether you look at this moment and you also see it as like a unique moment of possibility where the right people could get in there and prevent bad things from happening next. I think this capital siege that we had last week is going to have a similar effect that we had in the aftermath of the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing. Okay, it's a wake up call for our legislators and for the police. Uh, We're going to have a lot more resources and laws being passed and people leaving the movement because they saw the violence that happened last week. Uh, we, We saw similar things happen in Oklahoma City where you know, people in these movements uh, had kind of a uh, conscience and were shocked by what happened and actually left the white supremacy and anti-government movements. But it still took years. I mean, this wasn't something that happened, you know, within a few weeks or months. Uh, it still took years uh, for the momentum that built up in the mid 90s on these groups to kind of, uh, you know, have their flames uh, feathered or put out. So similar dynamics going to play out. People are going to see what happens. Some people are going to leave. Others are going to join. And there's still others are going to get even 
more hardcore because of it. So what does that tell you about what we should do now? Like we're seeing the arrests over the weekend of of a number of these rioters around the country. I wonder if you think we need to do more than that and what the consequences of taking action might be. Like there's been discussion of the 25th Amendment. There's been discussion of a second impeachment. How do you think about the value of punishing the president and his supporters? Well, those are more symbolic acts. I like to look at things that actually make an impact, uh, you know, like passing a domestic terrorism uh, statute that delineates authorities and responsibilities between federal agencies and empowers them. Uh, things like implementing programs in our schools, just like our anti-gang and anti-drug campaigns, something to counter extremism in our schools. Uh, people need to be more aware and vigilant of uh, the others who are radicalizing and mobilizing towards violence and report that type of suspicious activity. Uh, we need to have the private sector policing the social media content more and working hand in hand with law enforcement to identify those users who are radicalizing and mobilizing towards violence and terrorism. So there's a lot of things we need to be doing. Um, it's not just censoring the president, but definitely, you know, the business communities as well as our legislators definitely need to call him out for what he's done and also call this act terrorism uh, and do so, you know, in the future when we have other violent uh, ideologically motivated attacks. Well, you talk about, sort of the idea of censuring the president or his supporters is symbolic. But that symbolism can drive people, too. Like, I've seen debate among some about the idea that if you, say, impeach the president or, you know, harshly punish the people who were involved in the riots in the Capitol, that it then will increase the sense of victimhood in these groups and have the opposite effect that you want, where it won't quash the violence moving forward. I've seen the opposite argument made, that when you sweep things under the rug, it means that, you know, these movements will come back stronger than ever, and you're going to be dealing with another siege before you know it. And I wonder how you think about that. Yeah, like I said, I think you know, measures such as taking the president off of a Facebook and Twitter will have more impact than an impeachment hearing. Um, you know, he's shown us time and time again, he's using these social media platforms, not only to spread extremist propaganda and also to encourage uh, some of these far right extremists and legitimizing, you know, their acts. Uh, but he's also used it to incite violence and get people spun up and fearful and paranoid. So, you know, those types of actions, I think, have a lot more impact at deterring the threat and the problem than having an impeachment hearing so that we can have on the history books that the president was impeached twice. When we get back, what Daryl thinks should happen next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. 
Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You mentioned another domestic terrorism law, and I know that President-elect Biden's team has noted an interest in a new domestic terrorism law. But I heard that and I thought, do we need another law here? Or do we need to agree on what the priority is here? Like, a little over a year ago, the Department of Homeland Security, the acting head, said, I'm prioritizing white supremacy, white nationalism, and these online extremist groups, and and made it a priority of the agency. But it doesn't seem to have made a difference. Yeah, so I think it's both. Um, You know, there's two different types of legislation that's being proposed. Uh, There's I want to say 10 or 12 different bills that have been written up, but they fall into two camps. One is delineating roles and responsibilities among federal agencies. I think that one has got the most support and is much needed because it, it tells the FBI what they should be doing. It allows other agencies to get involved. It's not just a one man show where the FBI is the lead agency for countering terrorism, you know, does everything. It needs to be spread out. It needs to be a team effort. I'm curious, are you saying that basically right now we have like a who's on first problem where we don't know who should be investigating what and that's part of the issue? There are turf battles and there are agencies that don't cooperate uh, as much as they should be with this problem. We have, you know, agencies being undermined uh, because of fearful of losing, you know, power and jurisdiction over things. That type of bureaucratic infighting needs to stop. For Daryl, getting law enforcement on the same page, using the same playbook, it's just part of the solution. He says there also needs to be a better approach to prosecuting right-wing terrorists. There's other legislation that's more controversial. These are penalty enhancement legislations. Um, I'm also in favor of those as long as they are applied equitably and not just selectively applied to one extremist movement over another. And unfortunately, historically, uh, whenever these penalty enhancement type legislations have been passed, uh, it's selectively applied to far left extremists. You know, back in the late or 2005 to 2010, we had a lot of eco-terrorism. The business community lobbied Congress, got the Animal Enterprise Terrorism Act of 2007 passed, which added penalty enhancements for animal rights and environmental extremists who used arson as a tactic to further their cause. Sounds pretty specific. Yeah, that had a huge deterrent effect. Uh, We had Operation Backfire, where a number of arsonists related to Animal Liberation Front and Earth Liberation Front were arrested and given long prison sentences for their uh, arson attacks, which didn't kill anybody, but they were sentenced to long prison sentences because of this law that was passed. A similar thing could have a deterrent effect on far-right extremism if it was applied appropriately. 
So can we talk about what happens this week, next week? Because there is this online chatter suggesting that extremists are mobilizing once again around this coming weekend to take action in D.C., but also in states. How should we be preparing for that now? Well, I think uh, as Michigan and Idaho have learned, as well as uh, the state capitol in Oregon, as well as what happened last week in the U.S. Capitol, we need to take this chatter seriously and resources and physical security measures need to be put in place to mitigate the threat. You sound like you're like kind of naturally like <laughs> worried, apprehensive about what's going on. But I wonder... Like, when do you think you're going to be letting your guard down about what's happened in D.C.? Let my guard down when I see this genie put back in the bottle, uh, less plotting, less attacks, lower turnout uh, to these rallies. Um, But more importantly, when I start seeing the federal government and state local governments taking this threat seriously and we see more arrests being made and preventions being made. Daryl Johnson, I'm so grateful for you joining us. Thank you for having me, Mary. Thanks for taking the time. Daryl Johnson is a former domestic terrorism analyst for the Department of Homeland Security. He now runs a private consulting firm. And that's the show. What Next is produced by Davis Land, Daniel Hewitt, Elena Schwartz, and Mary Wilson. Franny Kelly has been lending us a hand, too. Allison Benedict and Alicia Montgomery make sure the show sounds great every day. I'm Mary Harris. You can check me out on Twitter. I'm at Mary's desk. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you back here tomorrow. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.